Welcome to the audio podcast for the main service of Northridge Church. Our hope is that this will be a tool that blesses and challenges you in your walk with Jesus. If you want to learn more about Northridge Church, you can visit us at nrchurch.ca or join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Until we meet, be blessed and enjoy the word for today. Well, I'll tell you what, I had little faith that I would see you guys this morning. Uh, I was not going to put out very many chairs. Decided in faith I would put out an extra row last night. And then uh, this morning we had to add a couple. So good for you. Well done. I honestly prepared this thinking that I would be uh, looking up at the camera and talking to the people who get up a little bit later and still want to stay on track and and with us through this series on Luke. Uh, But good for you guys. Now the only thing that we better is if one person would sit in the front row for crying out loud. The buffer zone is good. My spit doesn't go that far. Um, And so, uh, yeah, if you want to, if you really want to see growth this year in 2023, sit in the front row. Changes everything. Um, Yeah, where, oh, there you go. Thank you, Danny. Good job. There you go. Beautiful. Everything's better now. All right, uh, I asked Chris, I said, can I do the announcements this morning? Because there's a lot of stuff, and I hadn't, didn't have time really to kind of walk her through all the things. And some of you are probably, uh, maybe at home right now, you're like thinking, where was our newsletter this morning? Our very first newsletter, um, Alice Connor is the boss of our newsletter, does an amazing job, and it is coming. And it's not that she's been in any way, she's been ready for weeks. Like this has been on auto send, but the problem is, and you don't need to know about this, but our delivery system has changed and they want more money from us to have it go out at a certain time. And so it's coming out, I think, around 2.15, 3.15 today. So be ready for it. So I want to give you a bit of a heads up because there's a lot of stuff that I want to draw your attention to. The first of which is, uh, if you are not subscribed to our monthly newsletter. It comes directly to your inbox. You surrender your email and we send you once a month. Um, Alex is really good about guarding the integrity of that monthly um, newsletter system where we're not bombarding you with stuff. But once a month you will get tons of stuff. And this month in particular, there is a lot of stuff. I usually will submit one little blurb. I think I submitted six different things this month. And so because I care about them, I'm going to tell you about all of them. Um, one thing that I don't know if you're aware of or not, if you're, uh, we're starting to get some Foursquare lifers coming back through uh, the doors of Northridge, and they might be aware that this is Jan- 2023 is the 100-year anniversary of Foursquare. And this is not just Foursquare Canada, this is Foursquare International. There you go. We made it to 100. And so there's a lot going on as far as celebrating this centennial anniversary. Um, And uh, I've actually posted this morning in our Northridge group, is that be here at 10, go home, have a nap, and then go live online. There's a link on on the website, on our Facebook page, for the two o'clock celebration, where we're actually celebrating internationally 100 years of Foursquare. Uh, with that in mind, we are also a part of, as a part of the greater Foursquare denomination, there's usually a couple of things that happen in January. And uh, Foursquare Canada generally does a week of prayer and fasting, and we can look for, for Steve Faulkner kind of pastors through that. 
But um, internationally, again, there's if you're really hardcore, there's a 21 days of prayer and fasting that starts on January 9th. And there will actually be a link in this month's newsletter where you can click and it'll give you a website. It's got all sorts of resources, devotionals for you to read through and pray spiritually shoulder to shoulder with four square members across the world. It's something I think is, is very beautiful that we get to be a part of. And um, I want to encourage you to look into that. So that's going to begin January 9th. Going chronologically, January 11th is a Wednesday, and that will be our next kids' night out, the first of the year. And uh, so you can woohoo that. That's something exciting. Uh, so we've been kind of pumping that up for the next little bit, for the last little bit. And so kids' night out, January 11th, and that is here. And then the next day, like we're jumping into this year like hardcore. Next day launches Alpha. Now, I know that uh, our Alpha team kind of wanted to have numbers in order by the end of December. But if you ask really nicely and if you just forgot to sign up, maybe you can twist Alex and Matt's arm. They're going to be in a great mood coming back from their baby moon in, um, in Mexico. And so they'll, they'll probably be generous and allow you to join. But uh, we need to know sooner rather than later so we can be ready to feed you. And again, Alpha is something we are so excited about uh, to be jumping back into on the 12th. Um, the last thing that I want to make known to you is we are doing a push to kind of reset or, or make firm up our membership numbers. And so this is the time of year where I go through the awkward conversations. If I haven't seen people for a little while, I'll ask them, hey, are you still in? Are you a part of things here at Northridge? And um, we'll ask them about renewing their membership. Uh, if I see you all the time, you won't get a call. If you're a member, we, we, just, we just know you're, you're going to carry on. But if you are not yet a formal member of Northridge, um, membership is something, and we'll talk about it more at the AGM, membership is something that is uh, mandated not biblically, but actually legally, because we are a charity, a registered charity, we need to maintain a membership. But there's, a, I think, a, a relational element to it as well, where this is where we kind of say that we're all in. We're, we're not just going to follow Jesus. We're going to follow Jesus specifically with this community, in this community. And if this is something that you're interested in doing, um, I, I would uh, advise you over the next few weeks to sort that out because we need to have you as a full registered member for at least one month before our AGM, which will be happening March 5th, I think it was, Ryan, that we decided. March 5th, we're going to be having our AGM. And this is going to be a year of significant uh, conversations at the membership level. Uh, we, we want to make sure that our church and, and, and our people are accessible to everybody, but there are some responsibilities and some uh, things, insights that members are invited into that not just everybody gets to. It's, there's some family business we take care of every year, especially at AGM. But um, So that's something we need you to look into. Now, uh, I did up this whole formal pamphlet for it, but I think, you know what, the easiest and best, most effective way is to drive you to our website. And if you go to our website, nrchurch.ca, 
there is a section called next steps and under that is a very simple process to go through for membership. Uh, Andrews's, we got your transfer. We got, it's the first formal transfer. They are a part of a church that, uh, that closed its doors and they had their membership formally transferred over to Northridge a little while ago. I got a, a, my first letter from the president of Foursquare Canada saying that this is happening and so you guys are good. You don't need to do that. But yeah, just go to the website and there's a, a process to go through there. Those are all my announcements. This is why they don't let me do the announcements is because they take forever. Um, I had, I had a, a, a bad finish to 2022. I had a coffee at SNL last night and I had a Coke while we were playing games as a family and I stared at the ceiling till like three o'clock in the morning. And so um, yeah, I've, I've got to turn my life around after that uh, night last night. I'm still feeling a little groggy, but so bear with me. Um, I am, however, excited about this new series that we actually secretly started Christmas Eve and Christmas morning. Uh, Christmas Eve, there were thousands of you. Christmas morning, I think there were 11. And so uh, if you missed that service, we actually went into the book of Matthew, even though the series is on Luke, and uh, we took a look at the, the visitation of the Magi through the eyes of the Gospel of Matthew. But this is technically our third message in the series of Luke, even though it's the first time you're going to see this Luke um, screenshot up there. We are jumping into chapter 3 in just a bit. So I'm excited about that, but I'm excited about some other things too. Uh, the first, can we go to the next slide? We've got something to celebrate. I didn't tell them they were going to do this. But we've got over here, Tyler and Selena got engaged uh, just this past week. Um, uh, Tyler took his two-year cake and, and chose to, to pr uh, propose that moment. It sounds like it was pretty amazing. Uh, Mom and Dad were giving me the rundown of that. Uh, so that's really exciting. So that happened this week and something to look forward to. They've also got another thing to look forward to. But somebody, next slide please. I don't know if you've heard, Jessica and Bobby had their baby Hezekiah Davis Jeffers. And uh, yeah, you can woohoo that. And there's... Uh, there's more to woohoo than you might know. Um, when Jessica and Bobby found out they were pregnant, actually it was just Jessica who was pregnant. Uh, when they found out that they were going to have a baby, um, of course the, the doctors did their checks and stuff, and the prognosis was very, very grim. Like very grim. It was, it was, um, it was very discouraging. And um, you guys know Jessica well enough to know that she kicked the prayer team into high gear and... We've kind of been on our knees for nine months, and uh, on the 29th, um, baby Hezekiah came, and all reports, uh, I don't know if you heard anything new today, babe, I know Carly's going to visit Jessica today. Um, Jessica, if you didn't know that, she's coming today, and so, um, but all reports are that Hezekiah is doing really, really well, and uh, it's, it's honestly, it's miraculous, uh, the health of this baby. And we're so excited um, to have another guitarist in the, in the, in the congregation. And so uh, that's all, all good news. So lots to be excited about. Let's get excited about jumping back into the Word. Like I said, we're going to be in Luke chapter 3. And again, just to give you kind of a forecast of where we're going, um, just as we did with Romans, we're going to kind of plod along chapter by chapter Every once in a while, we'll bundle a couple of chapters together, um, and, and what you'll also find is that we might not uh, read every word in the chapter, 
but we'll probably give focus to uh, a, a specific section of that chapter. But we're going to draw an event or a teaching or just a, a step closer to knowing this Jesus each week as we wade through the book of Luke. Luke 3 begins like this. Verse 1, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iterea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas, and the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So this first part begins, as Luke does, with this, um, uh, this evidence of historicity, where he, he starts to outline or, or pinpoint, kind of put on the map different locations, uh, different leaders, different people that we can use as reference points. Luke, Luke listed, you see a, a list of political leaders first, leaders of the region that Jesus lived and served in. And so like any good historian, Luke gives us real, a real historical framework. This is not a fairy tale. This does not begin with once upon a time. Um, so he starts with political leaders, but then he goes into the religious leaders of Judea and the period of Jesus' ministry. Caiaphas was serving as the high priest. However, his father-in-law, Annas, was the patriarch of the family. He was still very much uh, in a position of power. And he was, honestly, the real influence in and amongst the priestly class at the time. So you've got both Caiaphas and Annas, these religious leaders. So Again, Luke sets this kind of historical backdrop into which he's now going to introduce this fellow John, specifically John the Baptist. He says, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Uh, John lived in the desert since his youth. He, he kind of went out there. At, you remember, this is the same John that was in Elizabeth's belly, when the angel appeared to, to Mary, and remember Mary goes sees Elizabeth, and the baby jumps in, in her belly. Are you asking a question? Yeah. I'm in ESV. Yeah. Good question, Danny. Um, and um, so remember, the baby in Elizabeth's womb did a little flip. It was filled with the Spirit, this encounter, kind of baby bump to baby bump. And so this is, this is that same John. And after he was born, he, he went out into the desert. But now, prompted by the word of God, John began to fulfill his ultimate calling. And that's to be this forerunner, this torchbearer for the Messiah, the promised Messiah. Uh, the theologian Barclay wrote, To Luke, the emergence of John the Baptist was one of the hinges on which history turned. Uh, when it comes to this next part, I, I, I honestly, I'm embarrassed to say that I've never thought about this before. So the highlighted part at the bottom here, he was preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. First of all, let's talk about those key words, remission and repentance. The remission is not just the forgiveness of sins, 
but it's, it's also uh, this freedom or liberty or deliverance from that sin. This is like a, a complete 180, which is really the definition of, of repentance as well. It's this turning from your sin. But this idea was a new idea. Think about this. Remember, this is, I think, why Barclay describes John as almost like this hinge point between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Because as we described on Christmas Eve, in order for us to have remission for our sins, God demanded, it was the law, that there be blood sacrifice. And remember, that was why they would have these lambs and swaddled cloths, and they'd be set aside, and the pure lamb would be sacrificed to, to help us to be right with God again. And that was the way we repented. That was the way our sins were forgiven, is through sacrifice. And now, John is preaching a baptism of the repentance for the remission of sins. He's preaching that we can die to our sins through baptism. That we can, we can literally go under the water, die to ourselves, and, and, and come up a new creation. And be forgiven of our sins. Um, there wasn't actually anything strange in the, the ceremony of baptism, in the sense that this whole ceremonial immersion. The strange thing was now these Jews hearing John preach, and now Jews were being baptized because Jews had the law. They had a way to be forgiven. Baptism was traditionally set aside for Gentiles entering Judaism. But now Jews themselves were being baptized, and it was, it was this ultimate act of humility. I should read my notes here. For a Jew to submit to baptize, baptism was to say something like, I am as bad as a heathen Gentile. This was a true mark of humble repentance, a radical rededication to the Lord. This was something brand new. Um, and this is all done in this kind of in this setting. There's a quote here from a fellow named C. Marvin Pate, and he says this, Baptism by water, whether it was understood by the Qumran community as applicable to itself or as preached by Jewish missionaries to Gentile converts, symbolized spiritual cleansing from sin, the result of forgiveness. And, and again, I think this is important. I'm going to give you a little bit of background just with this slide here. The Qumran community was also known as the Essenes. The Essenes, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. Pardon me? The Essenes, there you go. So this was a community of people who lived out in the desert. And they had a bit of a, a different way. Uh, they were very spiritual people. There's some different things. Um, there are some debates as to whether or not John was an Essene. Uh, I'll give you some notes here. I don't know if this is helpful to you or not. Uh, in, in both cases, the Essenes and John, they both lived in the desert. They both used Isaiah 40, verse 3, to describe themselves as the voice in the wilderness. This is something they had in common. And this baptism or washing practiced by John and the Essenes required a change of heart. These were all things they had in common. However, there were some differences. The Essenes hid themselves away from society in the wilderness. They went to the wilderness to escape. Whereas John was a very public, 
very visible figure. He was well known for being a bit out there and, and odd. Um, he was a public figure. And John also had much stricter, uh, a much stricter diet. He, he held to only eating just a few things. He preached Jesus as the Messiah. This is a, a pretty massive difference between what John was known for and who the, who the Essenes were. Uh, I think that's all I'm going to say about that. Let's carry on to verse 4. It says this. Now we get into some prophecy. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, we just heard that as a commonality between John and the Essenes, prepare the way of the Lord. I've highlighted this because I'm in love with this idea. Let's look at it a little more carefully. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places uh, shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. It begins by saying, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. So Luke connected John the Baptist with the one prophesied by Isaiah centuries earlier. John himself was aware of this from his early days because his father was aware of it from before John's birth. So uh, remember, Zechariah was a, a student of the word and he would have taught his son. And they knew of this prophetic word from Isaiah. But this phrase, prepare the way of the Lord. And then he starts to kind of go into different ways that the, the way of the Lord can be prepared. Making paths straight, filling the valleys, uh, uh, making the mountains low, straightening the crooked, leveling the rough places. The thing they all have in common is these are things that we cannot do in our own strength. But John's message was that things can be set right. The Messiah is coming, and he's here to do the work that is too big for us. These things that need to be done to prepare the way of the Lord are not for us to do. They are God's work to do. And it just gets me so excited, this idea of preparing the way of the Lord. Let's carry on in verse 7. He said, you know, this is a part where it takes a, a harsh turn. And, and this is a stern warning. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. How's that for a warm welcome? Instead of hosting, maybe that's what we should do from now on. You, no. Um, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is just, I find really odd. I, he, he's, he's quoting from Isaiah. Prepare the way of the Lord. Here we go. You brood of vipers. And he just starts laying into these people like, who are you? What, who do you think you are? And I, I, I love this line. This really connects well to what we've just come out of in Romans. He says, don't say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. John is cautioning the listeners. And he's, he's zeroing in on some new uh, audience that he's gathered. These Jewish people who are kind of sitting there scratching their pointy beards, and he's saying, hey, 
if you think that Abraham is your ticket to be with the Father, you got another thing coming. Don't think that your Abrahamic, your Jewish, your Israelite heritage is going to be the thing that saves you. And then he says, you need to bear fruits worthy of repentance. Now, John here was not being unreasonable at demanding good fruit. True repentance will always have fruit. And the basic fruit of the Christian life is love. And I, I believe he was being given a prophetic vision of his audience. This isn't Paul just being judgy and, and knowing the practices and the behaviors of those who were gathered around to hear him prepare the way of the Lord. I believe that God gave him spiritual insight. He was filled with the Spirit, and he could see into their hearts, and he did not see love. He saw religious piety and uprightness. He did not see love. And here we start to see John just give birth to some of the things that Jesus is going to make the hallmarks of all of his teaching. He goes on in verse 10. This begins some instructions from John. It goes like this. The crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, well, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. We get the, the first question, like, how, how do we do this? How do we bear fruit? It's almost a way of asking, how do we show love? And Paul, these are really a preview of Jesus's radical message. That it, we're not supposed to be in this world just for ourselves. If you're doing well, if you got a couple of coats and you see somebody needs a coat, just use your head. This is something a child can understand. Give them one of your coats. If you see they're hungry, give them food. If you see they're thirsty, give them water. And, and, and so John is already starting to give us this insight into what the Messiah is going to bring full force. And then we see, I, I found this curious, just something I found in, in a commentary, where we see the question first from the tax collectors, then the soldiers. And, and we've said it a lot from here, the tax collectors were not good people. Uh, they, would, they would take, they would basically be robbing their own people, taking from them to line their own pockets. And it's interesting that John, who's obviously not afraid of confrontation, he doesn't say tax collectors stop collecting taxes. He doesn't say to the soldiers, soldiers stop soldiering. But he says, do it honestly. Don't collect more than you're supposed to do. Do your job well. Soldiers, do your thing and just be content with your wages. Don't use your might to extort from your people. Was, to me, it was an interesting thing where, where John wasn't coming out against tax collecting and, and military service. He was just saying, do it the right way. Verse 15, I'm going to read the first part of this here. It says, 
as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, like, who is this guy? Whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And here we see John has got everything laid up on a T. People are starting to wonder if he himself might be the Messiah. He had the door open to him. Uh, if, if he was living in a social media world, world, he had the opportunity to say one thing, and thousands, if not millions of followers, would follow him. He already had disciples. He had people who were hanging on his every word. And, and, and there was an opportunity for him to become even more famous. And, and he didn't take it. In his humility, he pointed, as was his job, to the Messiah to come. He says, one mightier than I. And then he uses this phrase, which is actually very telling. He says, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. He, he doesn't just say, no, no, I'm not the Messiah. I'm pretty good, but I'm not the Messiah. He doesn't say that. He says, this Messiah is coming. He's still yet to come. It's not me. He's still coming. And when you meet him, you are going to realize, I am not even worthy of loosing his sandal. And I didn't know this, um, but the rabbis of Jesus' day taught that a teacher might require just about anything of his, of his followers. It was a, a real position of power. The only thing that he, the rabbi could not ask a follower to do was to take off his sandals. This was considered to be just too humiliating to demand. And yet John said that he was not even worthy to do this for the coming Messiah. That whoever John is and whoever people see him as, he's saying, I, I'm not even, it's, it's not even close. I can't even be worthy of loosening his sandals. It's an incredible statement. Spurgeon says this, what was the reason, think you, I always struggle reading Charles Spurgeon. He's an old guy writing here. <laughs> what was the reason, think you, of John's always retaining his proper position? Was it not because he had a high idea of his master and a deep reverence for him? Ah, brethren, because of our little estimate of Christ, it is often unsafe for the Lord to trust us in any but the very lowest positions. We talk about this sometimes um, when it comes to God's gifts for us. And the easy one is finances. Um, sometimes we wonder, why isn't, why isn't God blessing me financially? I think a lot of times the answer is he doesn't trust you. He, he doesn't think that it's good for you. And, and if you're like me and if you've ever had, uh, I, I cannot have cash I, I, like, honestly, if I have, if any, if I get change for something, uh, I give it to my wife immediately, and she has her secret stash of all of her cash, but I don't do well with cash. It's gone. Like, if I've got cash, it gets, it gets spent immediately. Um, and, and I think that God looks at us, and He is the perfect Father. He knows that where He can bless us and where that will do good. 
So he, he blesses, I, I, I think of Chris leading us in worship this morning. He's blessed her with a gift. And he's done it knowing that she will exercise that gift. She will use that gift to be a blessing to others. She's not just going to sing in the shower. She's going to lead us into the throne room. And I, I think that sometimes God looks at people and says, well, I can bless them. I can trust them with finances. It can be good for them because it will go through them and they will be a blessing to others instead of just staying with them. I, I don't think God would ever think that it's best for us to just bless us so we can sit on our pile of money. He almost, I, I want to say always, but I don't know if I need to qualify it with almost always. He almost always blesses us so that we can be a blessing. Rob, can I just say he always blesses that? Okay, I'm going for it. He always blesses us with the intention that it continues through us to be a blessing to others. He's teaching on Jesus' baptism. He said, baptism. Okay, I'm going to carry on. Sorry. Uh, verse, I think we're partway through verse 16. We'll pick up here. It says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So now John starts to point to this Messiah and the baptism that he will bring. Remember, he starts this, this section saying, I baptize you with water. But the one who's coming, the Messiah, he's got a whole different baptism. He starts to describe it. He's baptizing you with the Holy Spirit and fire. This is this, again, tip off to the promised new covenant. And this fire that he's talking about, it's this winnowing, uh, it says winnowing fan here, but uh, I think it should be winnowing fork in his hand. And he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. This fire that he brings, it is both purifying, but it's also destructive fire. It burns up all the stuff that is worthless, the chaff, the leftover stuff. And honestly, the way we live in, in this day and age, we don't just collect a lot of worthless stuff. We crave, we treasure a lot of stuff that would not survive this fire. There is stuff in our lives that is so precious to us that if we were to look at it through the lens of the Father, we would see that it's not precious in eternity. It's actually worthless in eternity. In this purifying fire, it will be burned up. It will be gone. Let's move on to verse 18. So, with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. And, and this part's interesting here. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked, him, uh, locked up John in prison. Now, uh, the way this is written in Luke is interesting because Luke is, I mean, uh, John is actually imprisoned after what happens next in verse 21. Uh, let me tell you just really quickly what John's done here and what's got him into trouble with Herod. Um, Herod had a relationship with Herodias, and it was both complicated and sinful. He was her uncle, and he seduced her from his half-brother. And so in marrying 
Herodias, Herod at once married a woman who was his niece and his sister-in-law. And so John, never one to shy away from a, a, a scrap, he called out the, the leader of this whole area. He, he called out the king, and that was not frown, uh, that was not smiled on, and so John was locked up, actually was really interesting. I did a little looking into his, his time. He was locked up for about a year in the Black Fortress. Sounds like something out of either Monty Python or something. In the Black Fortress, this impregnable and inescapable high security prison for about a year. And it was interesting that in, during that time in prison, John, he would actually have the opportunity to preach, and Herod enjoyed his preaching, even though Herod was the one who locked him up. But then Herodias's daughter had a birthday wish. She wanted John's head for her birthday. And so John was eventually executed in that prison. But this doesn't happen before what happens next. This actually, you can find that, I believe it's in Matthew 14 when, when we see uh, the end of, of John. This happens first. In, in, in Luke chapter 3, verse 21, it says this. Now, when all the people were baptized... And when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. It's interesting that the title of today's message is the baptism of Jesus. And yet in the account of Luke, uh, the important part was that historically Jesus was baptized. If you look at the other Gospels, you'll get much more of a vivid description of Jesus coming in, kind of the debate back and forth between John and Jesus. John like, hey, you should be baptizing me, not the other way around. And then Jesus setting it right, no, this is the right thing for me to do. I need you to baptize me. And, and the funny thing is, is that baptism is, is so that we can die to our sin, which Jesus had never committed. He was perfect. There was no sin to repent from for Jesus. But Jesus was obeying the will of the Father, and so he needed to be baptized. So in Luke, you don't get much of an account of, of the actual uh, baptism, but you can find that in other things. Um, uh, let me read my notes here. When all the people were baptized, there was a remarkable response to the work of John the Baptist. And many came to repent and receive baptism. Even though John was an odd character, he didn't fit in to the mainstream people. People heard what he had to say. And the Holy Spirit worked through John and they were affected by him. People were being baptized under John's ministry. And then that one day, Jesus appears. The one that John had been teaching about for his whole ministry, the Messiah appeared. And I think we talked about this already. Jesus didn't receive baptism because he was a sinner that needed to repent and be cleansed. He did it completely to identify himself with sinful men. In the same way he was crucified, he identifies with sinful men, but he himself was never sinful. And I love this kickstart to Jesus' ministry where the Father himself speaks from heaven. He says, the voice from heaven left no doubt. This was not, when Jesus was baptized, he was not just another sinner being baptized. This was the sinless, eternal Son of God, pleasing the Father by his identification with sinful man. 
And he says, in you, I am well pleased. Jesus began his earthly ministry with the blessing of his Father. And with the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus, we can have these same things. I've got two more slides. And um, I just want to kind of point you towards them. If you look at this next one, if you want to learn more about the actual things that happen in the baptism of Jesus, uh, I can point you to Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 17. It gives a little more detail. And the other part that we didn't get to today, if you want to read further to learn more about Jesus' genealogy, and that's how chapter 3 finishes, as it goes through the genealogy of Jesus. Uh, you can read the rest of Luke 3, that's verses 23 to 38. Uh, at this time, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Uh, but before we sing this last song in response, we're going to take a moment to share communion. If you haven't got a communion cup with the cracker and the juice, you can just grab one there. I did so much work to prepare this ahead of time. There we go. And now there we go. Last night at Saturday Night Life, we, uh, we taught through, I believe it was Luke chapter 22. I think we read the whole chapter. It was more text than we've ever done at SNL. Went through the whole thing. And it starts with Jesus gathering his disciples, uh, preparing to remember this time of Passover. And we talked about the, a bit of the history of Passover, or, or, or the origin story for this time they were remembering and celebrating. And Passover, if you'll remember, was the final, uh, attached to the final plague being sent against Pharaoh and Egypt so that Pharaoh would be inspired to let God's people, the Israelites, get out of Egypt. God was telling Pharaoh, enough is enough. Let my people go. And Pharaoh time after time said no, after each plague said no, until finally the mother of all plagues was being sent. But Israel was warned about this plague that was coming. It was going to be the angel of death would, would come over Egypt. And the angel of death would go from household to household, killing the firstborn of each family. Unless, unless they took the blood of the lamb and would paint it on their doorposts. And that would be a sign for the angel of death that this family was protected. They were going to be preserved from death. And so that angel of death would literally pass over that house and that home would be spared. Well, in the same way, as Jesus was remembering Passover, with his closest friends, he started to set up a new tradition of remembrance. And you'll remember he, he took the bread and he says, this is my body broken for you. He was speaking prophetically about what was yet to come, that he was saying, my body will be broken for you so that your body won't have to be broken my body will be broken for you. And that's what we remember right now. If you wouldn't mind just kind of holding up your cracker, closing your eyes, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, 
we thank you for all that you set in motion, even as far back as the the beginning of your, your word in Genesis 3, you, you set the plan in motion for your son to come as the Messiah, the one who would save. So right now, as we remember your son's broken body, we're filled with gratitude and just an awe and reverence and love for you, a father who would give his one and only son for us. So right now, we remember and we take the bread together in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take the bread. And at that Passover meal, when they were gathered around the table, Jesus did a similar thing. He took a cup. And I wonder if he would have even expounded a little bit and explained that this cup was just like the blood that was put over the doorposts. But this was his blood. He was going to be the ultimate sacrifice for us in that when his sacrifice was complete when his blood was shed it would cover the doorposts of our lives and as his children we would be protected for eternity from death death would have to pass over death would have no power in our life because of his blood let's hold the cup and pray together jesus we thank you for what you did as we read last night, we, we know that your humble prayer was to your Father that, that if something could be done where you didn't have to do this, where you didn't have to endure the pain, the, the humiliation, the brutality of your crucifixion and your death, you asked the Father that it be taken from you. But you, f- you finished that prayer that, with this sentence, that not my will, Jesus saying that not his will, but the Father's will be done. He put everything into order, that it wasn't about Him, it was about the will of the Father. Jesus, we're so thankful here for your humble servant march up to your death, where you shed your blood, you literally shed your blood as a final sacrifice so that we would not have to answer with our blood for our sins so that we would not have to die. We thank you that because of your blood that death passes over us and we can live forever with you. We remember as we take this cup together in Jesus' name, amen. Well, not sure that I can think of a better way to start the year than to share communion with you guys. So thank you for being here to do that. John's message was prepare the way of the Lord, knowing that it would be God's work that would need to be done there. Jesus was coming to do what we cannot do. I'm going to finish. I'm on a roll with these blessings. I'm, I've done one in a row now, and so here's the second one. Uh, I'm going to read a blessing, and then we're going to stand and worship together, sing one more song. So let's actually, if you would mind standing to receive this blessing goes like this. May God's blessings shower upon you and bestow upon each of you a bright, healthy, and peaceful new year. God of all time, help us enter the new year quietly, thoughtful of who we are to ourselves and to others, mindful that our steps make an impact 
and our words carry power. May we walk gently. Let's sing together. Thank you for joining us for our main service. If you want to learn more about Northridge Church, or if you just want to talk to someone about what you've heard on this podcast, please email us at info at nrchurch.ca. We'd love to get to know you better. Until then, be safe and be blessed.